So I'm excited to be here at the 11. I never get to be here at the 11. Um, I'm very quiet. They're panicking up there. They're like, why are you so quiet right now? <laughs> That's not like you. You're normally really loud. Um, but anyway, so we were getting ready for this week, and I looked at the anthem for the week. I was like, Reggie, how'd you do that? You didn't even know what I was preaching yet. Um, you didn't even know that I was using that Romans passage. And he's like, we do it all the time. <laughs> I didn't know. Um, in the 11, apparently, it's a tradition. Um, that anthem is a tradition. So I'm very excited that how the Holy Spirit works in um, all of us. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Yeah. <laughs> so um, one of the things I wanted to just say as a background the, in, the, in the bulletin and in um, and what I'm going to read today is Acts 6, 8 through 15. We're actually going through 6 and 7, um, but to shorten it to kind of the meat of what I'm going to talk about, we shorten it to 8 to 15. I do encourage you all to go back and read. I'm going to go through a lot of what happens in both 6 and 7, but I do encourage everyone to spend this week in prayer reading both 6 and 7 to catch up so that maybe to fill in some of the gaps that I may leave out um, as we're talking through these two scriptures. It's, it's a long story of Stephen, um, and so to fit all of that in, um, I'm doing summaries, but I would love if we all read that together as well. So Acts 6, 8 through 15. Stephen, who stood out among the believers for the way God's grace was at work in his life and for his exceptional endowment with divine power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose from some who belonged to the so-called synagogue of former slaves. Members from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and Asia entered into debate with Stephen. However, they couldn't resist the spirit, the wisdom the spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly enticed some people to claim, we heard him insult Moses and God. They stirred up the people, the elders, and the legal experts. They caught Stephen, dragged him away, and brought him before the Jerusalem council. Before the council, they presented false witnesses who testified, this man never stopped speaking against this holy place and the law. In fact, we heard him say that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, will destroy this place and alter the customary practices Moses gave us. Everyone seated in the council stared at Stephen, and they saw that his face was radiant, just like an angel's. The word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Dear God, Holy Spirit, Fill me up that I might become a vessel of your words. May those words that you have for these, your people pour out on them so that as they hear them, they may become closer to you and that they may be filled up in such a way that as they leave this place, all who encounter them may encounter you. Dear God, where my flesh comes in the way, where my words um, get in the way, May those words fall upon deaf ears. Amen. Well, I don't know how many of you take um, Beulah Church Road. I live off of Beulah Church Road, so those of us who live off of Beulah Church Road can um, will gather in the back for a small prayer time, um, for some um, some time together of um, of. Venting our frustrations, maybe, shall we say, or praying over our souls and maybe all of the things, the mean things that we've said to the nice construction workers on Beulah Church Road over the past two weeks. 
Um, so for those of you who don't take Beulah Church Road, um, it's that road that um, it kind of connects Weddington to Indian Trail a little bit. Um, but a lot of us live off in those. There are a lot of neighborhoods already off of Beulah Church Road, and so some of us live in those. And it's been a construction site for the past five years, or um, two weeks is really what it's been, but it feels like five years. And we haven't been able to easily get in and out of our neighborhood. There have been flagmen, so it's been, it's been one-way roads. Um, I got stopped one day and was told legitimately that I could not go down my road. And so I had to explain to them very nicely, of course, because I'm a pastor, that I live down that road. Um, and they said, sorry, you're not going home today. Um, <laughs> they said it just like that, too. <laughs> um, but anyway, so... I was really excited because I thought that all they were doing was paving, which I should have known better. For those of you who are familiar with that area, I should have known better that that's not all they were doing. Um, But I was driving home the other day on nice new, brand new asphalt, and I don't know if this is just me, if I'm just type A enough that I love this, but there is something about smooth asphalt, driving on smooth asphalt that's really, really nice. And so I was in like my little euphoria place and everything, and I look up and I realize that there are big power poles. And when I say big, I'm saying about the size of the cross that we have behind the Family Life Center. Big. Those of you laughing have seen them, I'm pretty sure. Um, They may not quite be that big. I may be exaggerating a little bit, but they're big. They they are abnormally big for the neighborhood um, that we live in. And so I'm sitting there going... That's odd. Those are really big for for our neighborhood. I don't understand why we need power poles that are this big. And then I get home and um, my electricity was off. And I know what you're thinking. I checked. I did pay my power bill. Thank you very much. It was not what that was. But apparently, we have enough houses that during June and July... We all like to use air conditioner for some crazy reason. And it, it, we had a brownout. And so um, I quickly ate a little humble pie and realized that maybe the nice men and women who decided that we needed bigger power poles may have known a little thing or two, right? Uh, we trust, um, well, I, we try at least to trust people who are civil engineers who have gone through master's programs, who have experience in figuring out grids and figuring out power grids to know exactly where the power should be who should have it, and where, um, who needs it the most, and how to design that. Um, and, and really, I take for granted sometimes that there are very intelligent people who figure that out for me so that I won't come home to no power for no reason. We trust them with this thing that in the grand scheme of things, now these are very intelligent human beings, and I don't want to take anything away from, from them at all, because they're engineers and and that's just a kind of brain that I don't have and so I give a lot of honor to but in the grand scheme of things it's so small compared to the power of God compared to the power of God for us you see the the guy who controls the the God who controls all who creates all who has created everything from the smallest of atoms to the biggest of universes For some reason, we don't like to give God the control and the power. For some reason, we don't like to give God the control and the power of our lives. We still want to yank power away from that God. We still want to um, take power and take control under our own wings and desires. 
And so that is how we see and who we see when we confront Stephen. That's where we see Stephen at at this point. You know, Stephen was a great man. Uh, Some background behind Stephen. Now, Stephen, um, in in verses 1 through 7, what happened was the church had grown, had multiplied, had been grown to thousands and thousands of people, and it had grown to the point where they realized that some of the widows were being left behind. Some of the widows were going unfed. And so the people got together and they said, you know, this isn't okay. This, this is a commandment that God has for us is to take care of the widows. But we're forgetting about the widows because the church has grown so large that we can't take care of them anymore. And so they all conferred together. They held maybe a church council meeting. I don't know. Um, but they conferred together and they decided to pick persons who were uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. Persons who were reputable in nature, persons who were specifically called to care for the widows. And they set those people apart. They took those people out and set them apart. And so Stephen was one of these men, one of these men that they deemed as someone who was of reputable nature, a, a, was, um, was someone who uh, honored the Lord and, and was following the Lord. And so Stephen was special and set apart for this ministry and for this task. And so when the people um, of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it's sometimes called, when they saw this, when they saw that Stephen was doing these many signs and wonders, they saw the writing on the wall. They were about to lose control. They were about to lose power. They were about to lose their right to that power. And so they conferred together and they said, you know, this isn't right. We want to have power back to ourselves. We don't know what to do here. And they looked at Stephen and they saw that he was doing these many signs and wonders. And they said, we have nothing on this man. There's nothing that we can do. There's no, no, we have no case here. And so what did they do? They made up their own case. They made up lies about him. They gathered together and they went from person to person and they said, here's what we're going to tell you to, will you say this for us? Will you say that that Stephen was blaspheming God? Will you say that Stephen was blaspheming Moses? Because uh, we, we can't say it, they'll be on to us, but we need for you to go out and falsely testify against Stephen. You see, back in those days, it was very different than now. Back in those days, if you blasphemed against God, it was um, you were able to go to jail for it. Could you, ima- could you imagine if every time that we blaspheme God, or every, uh, you all are good people, I know that you never do it, but anytime someone blasphemed God, they went to jail. Could you imagine how packed our jails would be? But that was how it was in those days. And so they knew that the only reason that they could get a one-up on Stephen was to lie. Because even though he had been... Um, producing these many signs and wonders, they still wanted to make sure that he looked bad. You see, whenever there is power to be had, there's going to be a group of people who are looking to wield it in whatever way is necessary. And unfortunately, the easiest way to do this is to make your enemy look bad. But here's the thing. Stephen handled this so well. Stephen handled this in a way that had to have been the Holy Spirit. Stephen handled this in a way that I am not sure that I would have. He didn't get angry. He didn't throw things. Most of all, and most importantly, he didn't jump ship and deny Christ. 
But instead, he stood up in front of the Sanhedrin, the council, and he told the story of God's love for God's people. From beginning to end, he talked about the story of Moses and how Moses led the people out of Israel by God's work. And he told the story of Joseph and who Joseph was and and how Joseph was called and set apart. He told story after story of, of person after person who loved God, who pursued after God, who did God's will. But Stephen was sneaky. He also shared story after story of time after time where people fought against the Holy Spirit. He told about Moses, yes, but he also told about the Israelites who disobeyed Moses, who complained to Moses, who wanted to go back to Egypt. He told about Joseph, yes, but he also told about the brothers who threw Joseph down a well and tried to leave him for dead. He told about the many times that people were following Christ or following God, but also told the many times where people fought against it. You see, the desire that many of us have is to be on that winning team. We want to be the winning team. We want to be the ones who um, are, are on the non-sinking ship, as they say. But a lot of times that ends up with us being the brothers who threw Joseph down a well. Oftentimes that ends up with us being the Israelites who rebelled against Moses. And so while the, the people saw that Stephen had this spirit and this love for Moses, Stephen was also sharing with them, be careful not to be the ones who are rebelling against God. I, I got to admit, I feel for these people. I feel for the people who are um, trying to go up against Stephen, who are lying about Stephen in a way. Yeah, I'm not saying that what they were doing was right, but... I understand what it feels like and and where their desire would come from to want to be on the winning team because we have it now too. To want to be the ones in charge, to want to be the ones in control. You see, I think that what happens with a lot of us, with many of us, is that we fear if we are the ones who stand up against the crowd, if we are the ones who stand alone, if we are the ones who stand in the Holy Spirit, that it's just going to lead to us standing alone. If we aren't in that group that is, is moving with the Holy Spirit, is moving together, then we may be the ones left behind. We may be the ones standing alone. But here's the thing. God gives us a sign in this that Stephen was in the right and that Stephen wasn't alone. Because at the end of this passage, as the people are looking on to Stephen, they see that he has transformed. They see that there's something in him. They see that as he is standing there, there is something different about him. That he's changed in some way. And we know that that was the Holy Spirit. You see, here's the thing. Even if you are standing alone, even if you're standing away from the group of people, You're never standing alone because God reminds us that God is with us. That God will never leave us alone. That God will never leave us standing alone. And throughout scripture, we have reminders of a God who remains with us, a God who stands with us, a God who desires to be with us always. At the end of the story, 
At the end of chapter 7, we see our first introduction to this man named Saul. Now Saul, many of us are familiar with his story, but Saul became Paul. Saul, though, at this point, was one of the biggest persecutors of the church. He was one of the biggest ones who was standing against Stephen, who was fighting against Stephen. Saul was standing there and was fighting against Stephen, but Saul ended up becoming Paul. He ended up having a transformation experience and, and coming to Christ. And so Paul became the man who wrote 13 books of the Bible. He became the man who um, proclaimed Christ and, and grew churches and went from church to church. He was a church planter by, um, by a lot of um, our common reasoning or common um, ways of thinking. He went from church to church and preached the gospel. And so one of his letters, in one of his letters, he wrote this. Now the way that we live is based on the spirit, not based on selfishness. People who are self-centered aren't able to please God. But you aren't self-centered. Instead, you are in the Spirit. If, in fact, God's Spirit lives in you. I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not death or life, not angels or rulers, not present things or future things, not powers or height or depth or any other thing that is created. This is what Paul says. Paul reminds us, that the one who stands with God will never stand alone. There's nothing that can separate us from God. There's nothing, no, no power, no, nothing that can separate us from God. And one of our reminders of this was the fact that God walked among us. That God desired a relationship with us so much that he came to be among us, to walk among us, and then died for us so that we may be raised through him. I believe we have the Matthew verse next. So we have this promise in Matthew, a fulfillment of of a prophecy in Matthew. She will give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place so that the Lord had spoken, so that what the Lord had spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. And this is a reminder, this is fulfillment of a prophecy that was in Isaiah. Then Isaiah said, listen, house of David, isn't it enough for you to be tiresome for my people that you're also tiresome for my God? Therefore, the Lord will give you a sign. The young woman is pregnant and is about to give birth to a son, and she will name him Emmanuel, God with us. He will eat butter and honey and learn to reject evil and choose good. Before the boy learns to reject evil and choose good, the land of the two kings you dread will be abandoned. The Lord will bring upon you, upon your people and upon your families, days unlike any that have come since the day Ephraim broke away from Judah. Time and time again, we are reminded that there is no possible way for us to stand alone because God stands with us. And so the challenge for us sometimes is to not get pulled away because of our fear of being alone, but instead to stand firmly with God and trust that God will surround us with people who will love us and will protect us and will also follow God and direct us back to him as well. About a week ago, um, um, a good friend of mine turned 40, and he and I have known each other since... um, since he was 27. So we've known each other for 12, almost 13 years. And I was asking him, um, you know, can I, can I 
do something, because he's, he's a single dude, and so I was like, can I throw your birthday party for you, because I want to make sure that someone's taking care of you, and someone's showing you love on your 40th, because 40th is a big deal, and someone should throw him a party, and so <clears throat> I asked him who he wanted to invite, and I got so excited, because his invite list were people that we knew 12, 13 years ago when we first met, that he's um, stayed in touch with some of them, because I lived in Atlanta for a while, I lost touch with and then, so I was excited because for me it was a reunion for people to see people that I haven't seen in a few years. And so I'm sitting at our dinner table and I was looking around at all these incredible people, incredible godly people who were a part of my journey 12, 13 years ago when I came back to Christ. You see, this man was someone who walked with me when I decided to come back to Christ, when I um, had started going to a new church and so met him and met a lot of um, friends through him and through that church. And so he walked with me through that original process where I came back to Christ, and he's walked me through seminary and through um, now. And so um, it just was incredible to see these wonderful, godly people around me. And I always think of that saying, um, the saying that you are the average of the five people you surround yourself with. Have y'all heard of this? May have used this here before, too. Um, but you're the average of the five people that you surround yourself with. And I'm looking around, and I'm like, man, these people upped my game. These people upped my average. Because I'm looking at people who form to nonprofits, who serve as um, one of the guys serves the, as the financial director of one of the large mega churches around here, and he's just a godly man who loves the Lord and keeps us all, all straight and in line. Um, and I just can't imagine what my life would have been like if I had tried to walk through that journey alone and walk through that journey just, you know, on my own, even with God there. But I had people who held my hand, who helped me walk through it. And so one of the reasons that I'm so excited that we have Patsy here is because we're all called to walk with each other in community. We're all called to make sure that we're the community that's keeping each other pointed on the straight and narrow and pointed back to God. Because sometimes the temptation will be to, to um, fall away from God. Sometimes the temptation will be to lose um, to lose God because we're chasing after a community that is pulling us more and more away from God. And, and we said it this morning for, um, for Lucy's baptism, but we, God does not leave us. And I want to make that clear that God will still love us and God will still chase after us. But God sometimes looks at us on that ship that we wanted so hard to be on that was not, not sinking and it's just desiring for us to come back to him. And so that's where community comes in, in task, in, into task, into our lives. Because our community should be pointing us back to God. It should be pointing us back to loving God. And so whoever you want to be is who you want to surround yourself with. But if you're losing community because of your God, because if you're losing community because you're standing up for all that God has for you and, and all that God has for all of us, and that's so much better than losing touch with God because of your community. It's so important for us to spend intentional time and for us to separate ourselves. And there may be a season of time where we have to separate ourselves from people who are pulling us away. And I hope and I pray that that's not true for anyone in here. But if it is, if it is, know that you are loved by God that does not leave you alone, but instead walks with you through all. Let's pray. Dear God, we are so grateful for how you've given us examples like Stephen, 
of what it looks like to walk in boldness, to walk with the love of you on our hearts, and to show others and speak boldly who you are. Dear God, give us the, the, the courage to speak up, the courage to love you, and the, the gifts of others who point us back to you. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.